Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and others. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me this week is my newest friend, and I cannot wait for you all to meet her, Natalie Norfis. So let me tell you a little bit about her before we dig into this topic of human connection and human connection at work. So Natalie is a creative and proven problem solver with nearly 20 years of experience as a labor and employment attorney and HR DEI practitioner. Natalie partners with employers on DEI and HR strategies, conducts complex internal investigations, and provides coaching and training to boards of directors and other senior leaders. She believes that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to HR. This is why I love you so much. I'm, I always tell people, I said, if somebody says, this is the way, do not believe them. She, she uses a metrics-based model to help organizations develop policies, programs, and goals that are customized to their needs. Natalie's career has touched on many areas of HR and DEI, including having served as chief diversity officer for multi-billion dollar brands with responsibility for setting the strategic vision for all facets of each brand's DEI initiatives. She's worked as an outside counsel in large law firms and in-house before, started an HR and inclusion consulting firm and works with employers around the world. Um, Everything from, I mean, you just work with everyone. (laughs) So, and everyone should work with you. Is that just the summary? I think everyone should just work with you. That's a really good way to put it. I put it that way too. Natalie, what what else would you like uh, us to know about you? Oh, I love that question. I would say, I I would say about three things. Number one, I would say my my best job is being a mom. It's the Mm -hmm. hardest one. Um, so that's a really, really important, um, part of me because my son is almost 16 and I learn from him daily, um, about, you know, how, how we connect as humans and how we can learn from unlikely sources. Mm. Um, the creative part I, that in terms of the problem solving piece, I think comes in, uh, uh, from a family of photographers. And so Mm. I am a landscape photographer and that's, uh, one of my important creative outlets. Um, and I would say the third thing is we've really been, uh, we love to do like icebreakers, uh, our team, uh, when we do our team, uh, meetings and I was, uh, our head of ops, his, his turn was if you could be any animal, what would it be? And I've been really vibing with my choice, which is <laughs> I'd be a bird if I could be any mm. animal because I love to travel and it mm. feels like I'd be really free, like floating mm. around in the sky mm-hmm. and going where I want to go. So I think it's important for folks to know I'd be a bird. Um, I love if that. I could be. Yeah. I love all of that. But remind me, you said a family of photographers. Yeah. So who who else is shooting? So my father has been um, a jazz and blues photographer for 50 years. Nice. Um, and I am an only child. Uh, and I grew up in Cleveland. And Cleveland had a ha- still has, but at the time had a huge jazz scene, like when I was mm. growing up. So I was at Oberlin, uh, Finney Chapel at Oberlin College, like sleeping on pews because I thought it was jazz was really boring when I was little. Um, you know, I got to see Dizzy Gillespie <laughs> at the Cleveland Zoo. Like I was what? all these places with my dad and I got my first camera uh, when I was like 10. Um, wow. And so my dad has always been into people. Uh, if you see him, he always has a camera with him. He always has one around his neck. In fact, I was in Cleveland uh, for Labor Day weekend and I met him at a jazz club and 
it was like he didn't ever get up to take pics, but he had his camera. And I was like, oh, my God, Dad, I don't think I've ever sat through an entire set with you, like where we just got to listen to music together because he's usually like running around taking pictures, which is like my, my life, right, is with, with cameras. But my dad's a people person mm. and taking pictures. And I, I was like trees and sky and water. And I didn't get the whole like people piece of taking photos until I had my son. Um, he was like my muse and mm. then I got it because you, it helps you sort of capture these incredible moments in time. And so when I started taking pictures of people, it was kids, um, because it's so fun to run around and fall. Like, I don't like when the kids are little, like they get all, they're invited to everybody's birthday parties. So it's always like a bouncy house slide with water and pizza. And in Miami, they get really crazy. They'll have like ponies <laughs> and all kinds of stuff and just catch capturing like those moments of kids being kids and like the the water fights and all that stuff it was just mesmerizing for me so it helped me understand my dad more um and like i'm like you don't want to take pictures of trees dad like you don't want the sky like look at the sunset so it, uh, there's that on my mom's side um my i never got a chance to meet him but my grandfather was a photographer uh, my mother awesome. was a photographer wow. um, that's kind of what connected my parents when they were in college and now uh, my son is a photographer and uh, he's got a many art forms, but he goes to school for photography, which has been just like this wild, like evolution because I told him, I mean, you're going to exceed me and grandpa in your skill set because he's learning like the new digital techniques, but he's yeah. super, super into film. So his nice. film photos are like stunning, you know, so it's, it's just like wild, but also just like, it's surreal, but it's so affirming mm. uh, in that people, like you get exposed to really cool things and it helps you find your way, like your own way in terms of what, what works for you. Mm. I love that the, the legacy of the hobby. And I think it's interesting also just, I, 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 well, it's, it's a really beautiful lead into this conversation around human connection is also just the evolution of it and how each person's personality and lived experience and time that they're living in and the technology they're using, how that shapes. That's so, it's so, it's so beautiful. And I hope, I don't know, I'm imagining, I hope there's some wall of Here's here's one of your shots. Here's one of That's your dad's shots. That's a dream, shot. actually. Here's one of your son's shots. Like a three generation exhibit. Oh, For me, yeah. being in the middle of my dad and my son, it's been really fascinating um, because there's such a big generational difference, and. I think it's like, I think I alluded to earlier, like you learning from the most unlikely sources. Yeah. I think sometimes my dad thinks he has all the information there is to convey, you know, about photography. Mm. And it's like, my son is doing stuff my dad and I could have never like imagined, mm. you know, like there was this period where like, I, he would come sit with me and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm watching cinematography videos to get ideas on. And I'm like, I know my dad's not doing that. Not because he should or shouldn't, but just it's like, you can learn from this kid yeah, too, you know? Yeah. So I think it's been fun to see being a lawyer breaks some of that traditional creative mind and they both are super creative minds. So seeing how sometimes they could show up in this kind of like disorganized way, but it's like they have a, they have a method to the madness and watching both sides of it, you know, and then being the one to try to encourage people to finish projects, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> you know, can we finish something before we go do 10 others? You know, it's like, it's, I feel, it's it's I feel seen, not because I'm you, because I need somebody like you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and then it allows you to, when you think about, just if we think about this thread on creating that human mm. connection and this idea of being intentional about how you build relationships with people, um, I think about my son where it's like, because he has multiple art forms, he has this tendency to start lots of things, right? Mm -hmm. He's got a sewing machine. He's got a mannequin in there where he's <laughs> does all his uh, visual art, his sketches. And then he starts to build on a clothing piece. Well, the one, the piece he's been working on has been there for about three weeks yeah. because now he's moved on to a painting. And so <laughs> like, he's got all these different things and he explains it. Like, it's not that I lose interest in one. I just find something I'm more interested in. Yeah. And so he had an art teacher last year who really connected with him in, in mm. a really meaningful way of just like encouraging him. And so uh, I talked to him at the end of the school year. I'm like, you know, it's so cool that, you know, TJ loves working with you. And you think you could like maybe talk to him about like finishing? And so when he was talking about his view of TJ, what clicked for me is that sometimes his vision is bigger than his current capability. Yeah. So like he's got these huge, mm. cool ideas and doesn't either have like all the resources or the skill set yet to accomplish what he sees in his head. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, maybe if you think about like what you could actually accomplish, it, you'll build, right? And mm -hmm. I, when I think about the connection, it's like, okay, now I'm digging in deep to understand what's important to him. Yeah. I'm not an expert in how to help him figure out how to, you know, finish listening to someone who really spent that time with him day in and day out. And then you bring it back to, okay, what I can help you with is like some tools, okay? And I said, look, if you finish smaller projects, it's going to help you finish the bigger things, you know, as you move forward. Yeah. Well, and and I, and you and I talked about this a little bit. I think we talked about this. Um, uh, and 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 you know, the honoring of just how the brain works, especially especially if he has ADHD. It's the like we're notorious for <laughs> like, I don't know, but I don't he, he we've actually it's so funny because at some point he thought he did uh, and we went to the doctor and she's like, tell me why you think that. And she's amazing. And she just sat there and she's like, you don't have it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm always like, yeah, no, I've got my jewelry box of when I was going to start getting into jewelry making. And I did it for a while. And then I got into quilting. And I, I did one quilt that was way more complicated than my skills were like ready for. But one of the things that I've learned for myself and embracing that for other people too is like, the joy isn't necessarily in the completion. The joy is in the discovery and the exploration, which only makes the next project or the next, you know, hobby, whatever that looks like um different or informed or well, and evolved I think that it's such an important point right it's not that every single every single thing he starts needs to be finished it's more so finish something right yeah, like yeah because you know think and, and i think even if you think about how we approach our work with our clients it's like we really never try to push more than three to five goals i mean five yeah. is a lot frankly yeah because it's like you can't do it all at once. Yeah. And so this idea of, yes, honor your space and your path. And maybe you see this project and you're like, yeah, that's not going to really get me where I want to be or it doesn't really fit my personal ethos anymore. That's cool. It's just uh, this idea of find something that finished because there is some joy in completing mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. So it's striking yeah. that balance yeah. between yeah. what serves you and, you know, what can move you forward in terms of your own personal goals. Yeah. So, so talk to us about your journey mm -hmm. and, and connecting it to this lens of, or, um, this topic of human connection. What's, what's been, you know, the, the, the journey to this point that's really driving the work that you're doing. So 
you know, I always say my unofficial start in DEI was my own upbringing. Mm. Um, I have parents that are different races. Well, my mom passed, but I have parents that are, were different races from one another, different religions from one another. Um, you know, my mother had one brother and a very, very small family. My father had six siblings. I have 10,000 million cousins. Mm -hmm. You know, the, we didn't really interact much with my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family. My grandmother was like, we all had to be together as often and as long as possible. And so learning about both sides of my family and learning about, you know, grandparents and great grandparents that came over to the U.S. during the Holocaust mm. and grandparents, you know, worked in the fields in Georgia and moved north like a lot of black Americans. It's like it was always super fascinating. Uh, my mom was a teacher. And so she really did this really phenomenal job of like she created this really cool family tree. I have the coolest, I would love if we ever met in per per person, but I feel like I have the coolest baby book yeah. because she took such great care. Mm. And so it's like seeing the family tree. And, and so it was always so interesting to me to hear like the stories, like she had somehow with whatever her father and grandparents came with uh, from Germany, they had all these like postcards that people wrote mm. to each other in German. And I've been able to get some of them translated just to see like, what were they even communicating mm -hmm. about? So it was like that fascination with human interaction and where people come from to understand different perspectives. And it really followed through, um, you know, from there. I mean, I went to high school in D.C., so I was able to start taking classes at George Washington when I was um, 16. And it was always like political science, Islamic mm. humanities, African mm. studies. Like I was so laser focused on like, I just want to learn about all different types of people. Uh, I was an international studies major in college. Um, I picked the law school I went to because I really was interested in immigration. And it was like the third most expensive law school at the time. And I passed up a full scholarship. It was worth it. Uh, but, expensive. <laughs> but it was like about that piece. And Frank, I, I had um, being in the immigration clinic at, at GW, um, it helped me kind of define this current path because the amount of emotion it took mm. to kind of help folks who were trying to seek asylum in the law, uh, asylum and the like. I didn't know if I could do that full time, but I did know I wanted a people centered practice area. Um, so that's how I landed on labor and employment. It was funny. They sent us this like um, selection sheet, like about two months before we started working of like choosing. And I'm like, tax, no, corporate, <laughs> no, labor and employment. Yes, yes, that's it. That seems like that's people centered. And so that's that's really the been the path is really understanding what motivates people, understanding where communication breaks down, understanding how to connect people to each other and with people like me and other people. It's just, it's just so important. Like it's just part of my DNA at this point. Yeah. The, it, that's really, it's, it's fascinating to hear about your upbringing and your childhood and how that connects to even the, the point you made in your introduction of just, you know, I'm always learning from different perspectives and that, that, that openness and that curiosity. So when you, when you look at, when you look at the state of where work is right now, and right now folks who are listening to this, we're recording it end of September, 2023. Um, and What's your sense from your vantage points of the people that you're working with of where we are related to 
the human side of work. <laughs> um, where where do you think we need to be going? Um, and I'm just I'm just curious to hear your perspective on that because I know you work with a lot of organizations, and like me, you get this beautiful front row view, um, not just to where the organizations are going, but how that's impacting the individual people who are within that organization. So what's what's like your sense of the state of the union? So if you look at it from the standpoint of we have clients that are nonprofit, for-profit, single state or city, multiple countries, uh, multiple states, um, there's going to be something very unique about each workplace. Mm -hmm. But the common thread, uh, two, really sort of two common threads uh, that we see first and foremost uh, no matter which conversations we've had with employees in, in, in terms of the different countries we've had the opportunity to talk to folks in, they really, really yearn authentic human connection. Mm. It, it comes up in so many different ways. Mm. Um, and so it, it really drives us in how we talk to our clients because it's like the authenticity is really the important piece of what folks want. Like that you really are coming to me as I am, not as mm. you want me to be or you think mm. I am, right? Like mm. you're taking that time to hear me. Mm. So that's one really big overarching piece. And then I say the second piece, and I would bring this more so to the U.S., um, is people are really moving away from this living to work concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think... Well, there's so many sort of tragedies that came out of the pandemic. If we were looking at a silver lining is that it did seem to provide a reset for folks. Uh, and so what we see regularly is people are much more protective of their boundaries. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more reflection on like what role work plays in their life. Um, and I think in terms of we're sort of at this, these early stages of people saying, I'm not trying to be burnt out. I mean, you hear people talking mm -hmm. about that. They're admitting to burnout, admitting to like, they don't want that. And so I think where that leaves many leaders today is trying to, uh, to really just accept that, mm. right? Cause there's mm -hmm. still this like resistance, like, mm -hmm. but, 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 mm. you know, where you're like, Hey, but guys, you guys get to decide how fast or slow you get. Like there isn't like somebody saying like, you must work 70 hours a week to accomplish. Like there's no rule around that. Like we yeah. get to recreate the rules here. And so if I would say like, where do we need to be in this journey of the workplace is just resetting on what it means to work in this country um, and, and, and really let go of some of the old cultural norms because People are bucking them mm -hmm. left and right. And I, I personally don't see any end to it because it wasn't sustainable the way we were operating before. No, mm -mm. no it's it's the yeah, the timing. The timing of this conversation is so beautiful because uh, the the guest we were just talking with Maxine, we were talking about really similar things because it's the reality. It's yeah. you know, and in whether we're talking about it through a, a company lens or an organization lens or through even just a personal lens, it's. Um, you know, and, and that that language you use of yearning, I know is, I assume is really intentional on your part, oh, totally. um, uh, that it isn't just, oh, I want it, but I'm yearning for it. And that that being seen as me and meeting me in the, the middle or, or not meeting me in the middle, but like meeting me as me, I guess, is what's coming up for me. 
More with Natalie Norfis in a moment. You know, when you think about where we're at and this tension we're in, because it it does feel like we're in this tension point. There's sort of like old guard. And when I say old guard, I'm not necessarily saying age, because I work with leaders, as I'm sure you do, who are our age or maybe even younger, who are very much command and control, or we got to keep things the way it's been. Then there's new guard. And then there's people who are like, I want new guard, but I've got one foot in old guard and I don't know who I am <laughs> and how I want to show up. But there does feel like this, uh, this, uh, uh, just protection of like clinging to <laughs> for some folks. And what are the questions you wish leaders were thinking about now um, that maybe they aren't, or maybe you're helping them think about, and it has been really provocative as far as what does this look like as we move forward in a much more human-centered way? There's two big ones. One is defining your personal why. Mm. So what what do you, I mean, one of the questions, you know, I often ask is what do you want your legacy to be as a leader? Yeah. And what is your why around that? Um, because I think if you don't have a personal North star, it's very easy to get swept up in, but we've done it this way kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other piece is, uh, have you, t- have you taken time to figure out what motivates your team? Mm. Right. Because, mm. um, there's a, still a very large presumption that everyone is trying to climb the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people have opted out of that sort of linear path. Um, success looks like something different for different people. Mm-hmm. And I always say that if you don't know what motivates people on your team and not like a collective motivation, that's actually yeah. maybe a cool exercise at some point. But what, what motivates the individual? Um, because if where we see people keep clashing was like, well, they're not going to grow that way. Did they ever say yeah. they wanted to grow? Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they're fine making the money they make right now in the position they have right now. And they're just as happy there and they're not looking for something different. Um, and we have to be okay with the fact that not everyone is trying to be a CEO and make millions of dollars. Like, like, I think that's what these leaders who have been in power for decades, I think they just cannot fathom that, well, what do you mean you don't want to have a private jet? You know, it's kind of like those types of reactions. And um, so those would be the two the two big ones. You know, the, the last thing I would say is not so much a question, but something we constantly encourage, which really ties a bit to the why, is doing that self-exploration. It's very hard to show up authentically um, if you don't have some idea of where your blind spots are, if you don't have some idea of what makes you uncomfortable, if you don't have some idea of like the things you do that could be annoying to other people, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if you're not taking that time to like look within, all of this becomes very difficult. Yeah, it's the I always like I think we have really good BS meters as humans. <laughs> You know, and, 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 and and this has come up in a number of conversations and like, we talk about it as well is, I mean, we're just really good as humans to say, you say this, and yet you're behaving in this way. And one of the things I'm curious to get your thoughts on, something that I've started to hear from individuals who are in these formal positions of power uh, and I'll be really explicit. All of them to this point have been white men. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, so I'm, I'm not generalizing, but this has been it. 
Um, and the, the things that some of them are starting to reflect on is essentially, I can feel that things are shifting um, towards a, a more human, people-first approach, more uh, a real commitment by some organizations from an inclusion perspective, from a diversity and inequity perspective, and, and feeling like, I don't know that I'm the right leader for this time. Because they've, you know, and again, I'm not um, a lot of leaders, regardless of their identity, have been rewarded for their technical knowledge, not yeah. not necessarily their ability to listen to and connect with people. And so I'm just I'm curious, you know, what would you respond to that? Or what comes up for you in your own work? As you think about where we're where is like a collective worker is moving and where folks are who are still in those positions of power related to that? I think it's such a great question. And there's two pieces of it. If we look at the, the sort of employee type side of things, when you put together all that we've talked about so far, there's another piece to this, which people mm -hmm. have much shorter fuses than they did before. And I think, mm -hmm. well, I'm not a psychologist and I'm really looking forward to like all the studies that are come out. There's, there clearly was some damage to our collective, collective psyche during the pandemic. And so when I think about it from like the investigation standpoint, the investigation complaints I'm getting are like wild, right? Like mm. if I look at the last three years and the types of nuanced things that people are sort of complaining about, it's, it's indicating to me that people are, it's like, we're, we're, we're at like a pressure cooker point. Yeah. And so I think I, I say that because if you're not sure if you're the right leader, maybe you walk to the side and make space for someone who is, because to your point around the BS meter, people don't like, we said we said earlier on our own podcast stop playing with people right because yeah, like yeah like it's yeah. it's really frankly dangerous you know yeah. we've been in meetings where we've seen employees like seething about something and i'm looking at like ceos like like this is not this is someone who might come slash your tires and i'm not saying that to be funny it's like you push people to a point yeah. with inaction and platitudes and lip service mm -hmm. like it's not the same as it was before like people mm -hmm. just they, they have in some ways they have a lot a lot to lose in some ways they don't because it's yeah. like you know what like so you want to be thoughtful of if you're feeling that tension and maybe you're not, you don't know that you're equipped to, to address it. One answer for me would be step to the side, make yeah. space for someone else. I had a leader ask me like, it's at what point am I just not effective? I'm like, sometimes you have to decide that for yourself. And I yeah. gave an example of, you know, some board leadership I've had on a nonprofit where I realized my voice has been so active for a long time that it wasn't as effective mm. and that mm. there needed to be another voice. And it's not because I'm not capable. It's not because I'm not interested, but it's I'm, my voice is not having the impact I'm hoping mm. for. So I could I could fight it. You know, I could try to swim upstream and, and like fight it and like, no, because I know. Or I could say there are so many other people with no similar knowledge or skill sets that I have. And, and it may be someone else's turn. And I'm totally OK with that. So I think we have to get comfortable with walking away and not seeing it as quitting, but saying, like, I've done all that I can do for this organization. And now it's time to move on. Um, if you don't feel like you're in that space to move on, um, I strongly, strongly encourage people to get therapy, mm -hmm. uh, get an executive coach, uh, 
get someone who can is neutral and is not biased toward you in some way because they know you or they've worked with you to help you, you know, help ref- you have a reflection of yourself. Yeah. Um, my co-host and head of DEI strategy, uh, Shantae Gordon, I love how she talks about when she does coaching with people, she, she serves as a mirror, like a reflection mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. help them see how they show up, mm-hmm. to help them see some of the ways in which they can be agitating folks, the ways in which they might be obstacles or, um, Maybe indecision. indecision has been one of the biggest problems we encounter with leaders right now. Um, and that really frustrates people. So sort of digging into like, what is, what is, what is stopping you? What is stopping you from making this decision? Like, what is it about this that's showing up for you that's really difficult? And so, you know, we really try to push in that way as well. Yeah. Your, your perspective as being somebody who's on, on the other side of, escalated complaints or investigations is it's really interesting to hear that observation of the short fuse mm-hmm. um and and that whole idea of a lot a lot more people collectively are saying i just i don't want to tolerate this anymore yeah. i don't i don't want to put up with this anymore and and it, it does feel like we're in this we're not in a revolution it's not that significant I, I mean, I'm ready for the revolution, uh, yeah. right? It's like we're, a movement. It's yeah, a it's movement. a movement. It is a movement, yeah. and it's people who are, uh, people who've maybe not even been in a like maybe have been in a position of privilege or been protected, and 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 I'm seeing more and more people who are questioning things that I wouldn't have seen question things I'm a couple of years people. ago. I'm one of those people. Same. You know, at the at, after George Floyd was murdered. I really had to take a step back Mm. and I was like, you know, and I, and I had this conversation with a number of my, um, friends who are black professionals of, for some of us, we felt like we made it right. Like Mm. we went to law school or we went to grad school and we're lawyers and we're engineers and we're doctors and doing all these great things. And like, that's it. And so then I can speak for myself. Like I kind of dimmed my own voice because I'm like, wow, you know, I'm like worked these big companies and doing these really great things. And I don't want to jeopardize that thing. And there was just something about that moment where I'm like, that's excuse my language bullshit. Right. Like you were raised to use your voice. I don't ever really shut up honestly, but I also was very careful about the words I was using. And it was a moment of like, no, we, we, we have to use like the voice in its entirety. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of us had, again, it's that reflection of like, well, what's my purpose here? If I'm watching things that I know are wrong or I'm tolerating things that, you know, kill my spirit. Um, and I think that's really what we're dealing with now. Um, because, you know, people have gone through years and years of, um, you know, while I'm working really hard, but it's like, I can't, I can barely pay all my bills or, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's like, you know, is it really worth it? And so, you know, when I'm talking to leaders a lot, cause like, you know, especially leaders who've been around for a while, you know, they, they get frustrated when people don't see it. And I'm like, you constantly have to be able to show the value proposition of working at this place. Mm. You cannot rest mm. on your laurels. You mm. cannot say, well, look at me. Because mm. it's for some of them, you've been in the workforce 40, 50 years longer than, you know, people you work with. And so 
like there's got to be some give and take there. And I don't think it's all on the employers. I do want to be clear yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but I think at this point there had been such an imbalance yeah. where employees felt generally they're used, you know, mm-hmm. over the past 20 years mm-hmm. that a lot more onus is on employers until there's a little bit more um, equanimity, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of, of that balance. I... Um... I just want to keep talking about this. And I know we need to be thoughtful of time. <laughs> and and I already know you're going to be coming back on the show at some point. I'd like I, I'm, I'm always just like, yep, yep, you're going to be a repeat, repeat, uh, a repeat guest. Um, I, I just, I think that that thing that, that's such a great point that you bring up of you constantly have to be showing the value and, and, and in a really authentic way, mm-hmm. it can't just be transactional anymore. People want to be seen. They want to be heard. They, you know, I think of the, the work of Tara J. Frank and well, I'm looking at her book right now, actually, of the Waymakers. And she talks about people want to be seen. They want to be valued. They want to be respected and they want to be protected. And, and it can't just be enough to say, well, we're paying you well. Like if well, I'm not you treated can't just say well, we have an open door policy. Right. You can't just say, yes. oh, but here's the value of the be- like the dollar value of your yeah. benefits. I mean, I think that's like a, a really sort of interesting point, too, because when you think about, you know, what are the things that are impacting people right now? Right. Is needing space to take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. um, needing space to disconnect. I actually mm. uh, was do, um, doing an investigation where I had to be in St. Croix um, earlier this week. And incidentally, and very randomly, my mom lived there for a very long time. So I had been to the island many, many times. And there's this part of the island, uh, the north side of the island, where it is like, so quiet and there's very mm. few people sounds and even two nights there it and i've stayed in this really small hotel that's like right on the water so all you really can hear mostly is like waves crashing on the cliff mm. and when you're walking it's like waves crashing on the right uh birds and other mm. animal sounds on the left very very few cars and so it's this really important moment of solitude and i was having conversations in my head as I was walking and I was getting really frustrated about just, you know, thing, challenging situations. And it was like this really interesting sort of way I was in, able to interrupt the thought in that mm. moment mm. of like, wow, like each time I've come to this island since my mom passed, I've gotten stronger mm. and I've made progress and I can come here and enjoy this place in a much different way and it's so peaceful and it brings me so much peace. And so it becomes super easy to focus on all the things that are challenging um, and we lose sight of like the progress that we make. And so I think if you tie that back to this point around, you know, okay, you come and say dollar value of benefits or X, have you gone and talked to people about whether they even feel like they have time to use their benefits? Mm. And for those who Mm. feel like they have had time, what has that done for them? Do these benefits make sense for the workplace you have now? Um, we talk a lot about 
you know, don't just offer people a bunch of stuff if they're never going to get time to use it because it's just going to feel like one more thing. It's, it's not like a, I think people say, oh, but it's so good that we have yoga classes. And it's like, it's not about good, bad, right, wrong. If people don't have time to do it, it's going to feel yeah. stressful. Yeah. Like yeah, I can't, yeah. like I have to go make up an appointment or I have to show, I don't even have time to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we're just thinking about like, you know, closing this part of our discussion, because it's definitely not the end, Mm-mm. this this human connection piece is just, it's the word that we use a lot around being intentional and saying, not just saying, but I give you all these things, mm-hmm. but it's like, are they the things you actually need yeah. um, to, to make you feel whole? Because whole people are going to bring their, their best selves, you mm. know, to work. So beautifully said. Thank you. I'm so grateful that Jacquette connected us and oh I'm so gosh. excited like to I was just like <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad that we got to introduce our audience to you so Natalie for people who are interested in working with your team who are interested in learning about um, more about you and the work you all do what is the best way for people to connect with you I appreciate the question you can find us at the norfisfirm.com and that's n-o-r-f like Frank u.s like Sam um, we are on all of the platforms under the Norfus firm and on Instagram, we also have uh, what's the deal and that is mm. D-E-I-L. So and that stands for diversity, equity, inclusion and leadership. Um, and so we'd love, you know, for y'all to connect because there's so many of these cool topics that we're always like interested in talking about. And we can't wait for you to join us. Sarah, yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, to con- this conversation is going to take a whole lot of oh, different. Yeah, yeah we're and gonna I think all over and the at place. some point we also need to. I want to have a conversation at some point with how we're trying to build our businesses differently because you and I are trying to do very different, more human centered approaches to building it. And I know like, like us, it's like, we want to prove that you can be successful, financially successful without burning out people in the process. Exactly. So thank you so much, Natalie. We appreciate having you. Our guest this week has been Natalie Norfis and I'm still chewing on that idea of how are we navigating the short fuses and not and and also from the place of people are setting boundaries and they don't they don't want to tolerate things anymore. I think we're just in this really interesting movement in evolution. And as always, we want to hear from you what resonated for you, what connected for you, what questions came up for you. You can always send me an email at podcast at com, or you can send me a direct message on social media where my DMs are always open. But in full disclosure, LinkedIn is probably going to be your best bet at this point. Also, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. This helps us increase exposure so we can continue to bring on great guests like Natalie. And if you're interested in supporting the show financially, consider becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations where your financial support will support this team um, and you'll get some pretty great swag. Finally, just a huge thank you as always to the team that makes this show possible, to our producer, Nick Wilson, to our sound editor, Drew Knoll, to our transcriptionist, Becky Reinert, to our marketing consultant, Jessica Burge, and the rest of the Snowco crew. Thank you. And just a big final thank you to Natalie Norfis for coming on the show, giving us her time. I have no doubt we are going to have continued conversations with her and it's been such a gift to meet her. 
This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember, my friends, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So till next time, please be sure to rest, rehydrate, and I'll see you again soon.